Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Lisa Raitt is the Conservative Party Deputy Leader and Member of Parliament who serves on the Justice Committee. And in that capacity on Wednesday, she interrogated, sounded like an interrogation, Jerry Butts and Michael Wernick. You'll hear that. Also, Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale and Michelle Simpson, as I spoke with what we like to call our beauties panel about the entire issue, the scandal that's going on in Ottawa. You'll hear Catherine, Linda, and Michelle. Brian Peckford is the former Canadian Premier, former Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, and the Premier blogged what happened to right and wrong. You'll hear the Premier, as well as John Nunziata, former Liberal Member of Parliament, who decided on telling the truth to voters, even though it cost him his political career. That's all coming up, that and more, today. Conservative Party of Canada Member of Parliament and Deputy Leader Lisa Raitt subjected Gerald Butts and Michael Wernick at times to what I thought was withering questioning at the Parliamentary Justice Committee hearing this past week, and rightly so. Meanwhile, Liberals with a majority in the committee voted down a motion to have Jody Wilson-Raybould return to testify. As well, the Liberal MPs voted down a Lisa Raitt motion calling on Mr. Butts to produce all texts and emails with his staff on the Jody Wilson-Raybould matter. Lisa Wright joins us on The Roy Green Show. Ms. Wright, thank you very much for the time. And before I ask you specific questions, what is your overall takeaway after the two Justice Committee sessions which featured testimony by Jody Wilson-Raybould, by Gerald Butts, and by Michael Wernick? That there's more information and more facts and more evidence out there for us to have and that the Liberal government doesn't want us to have it. What were Butts and Wernick really saying about Jody Wilson-Raybould? Now, Butts said he wasn't there to impugn her character or work, and then he did just that. As for Mr. Wernick, my first takeaway was I wanted to count the number of times he said I. Um, first of all, Gerald Butts and then Michael Wernick, what, do you, what did you get from them? So from Gerald Butts, the minute that he told me that he did not know that Jody Wilson-Raybould had made a final decision until he heard her testify to that about 10 days ago. I thought, you know, this is going to be an uphill battle because he clearly was not, um, he was not, I can't say that he wasn't truthful, but he certainly was not going to help us in getting to the bottom of anything. And he didn't. He gave long, long answers that gave lots of descriptions, but really said nothing. And, uh, and Michael Wernick? Oh, uh, unbelievable. Um, what Mr. Wernick did do, and uh, which was helpful, and this is why I say we, we need more evidence and why they probably turned down my motion for more evidence to come forward. He did come to committee with the items that I had asked him the last time he came to committee, and we found lots of information in there, such as a call from the former clerk of the Privy Council, who is the chairman of SNC-Lavalin, that he did not tell us about in his last testimony. And now we know that the uh, former clerk called the current clerk to talk about SNC-Lavalin, which is outrageous in my point of view. So if I can go back to the first point you made, there's more information to be had. There's more information to be revealed that they're not doing, they're not revealing, at least not voluntarily, and they're throwing roadblocks up with their five to four votes. Other than what you've just told us, specifically, what do you want to know? What is out there that we need to know as Canadians? There's the back-end information, the back-end discussions between SNC-Lavalin and their lobbyists themselves and the members of the PMO who had direct contact. We've seen the notes from Michael Wernick's meeting with SNC-Lavalin, and they talked about going directly to the Director of Public Prosecutions. And we saw Mr. Wernick almost coaching SNC-Lavalin about how to get a deferred prosecution agreement. We know as well from Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony that there were two members of the PMO who suggested that somebody go and talk directly 
to do a um, an indirect uh, reach out to the highest prosecutor in the land in order to get her to change her mind. I bet you there's notes all over the place in terms of what the PMO is attempting to do and their meetings with SNC-Lavalin and what their instructions were. And, and I think that's the kind of information will point us in direction of seeing for the RCMP. So it's not really about the 9,000 jobs. Oh, gosh, no. And it's not even a number. I I have no idea why they thought the Canadian public wouldn't do their own research to figure out that that was um, not salient and, and ridiculous in terms of something that a prosecutor should take into consideration, really. What it comes down to is it's about votes in Quebec and making sure that uh, whomever they are friends with at SNC-Lavalin was able to skirt this criminal proceeding. And as you know, they lost in court, and the judge was very, very clear and said, no, it's the discretion of the Crown prosecutor and nobody else can put pressure on it, specifically political pressure. So now the question is, what will Mr. Lametti do? Very interesting, isn't it? I mean, I've spent the last 10 days wondering if they've already put in process um, the way in which he can go ahead and give direction to the Crown prosecutors to negotiate this deferred prosecution agreement. Um, Mr. Trudeau, in his apology, not apology this week, did say that they were going to hire some experts, external opinions on certain things, and he didn't really elaborate on all of them. We will never see the terms of reference. But I am wondering whether or not he's lining up a a former Supreme Court justice to come in to tell Mr. Lanetti that it's okay, he can go ahead and give that direction after all. Funny you say that, because I had the very same thought, and when it first occurred to me, was when they started, the Liberals started to talk about uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould possibly going to the former Chief Justice of Canada mm-hmm. and seeking her advice about what, whether to go forward with the DPA or not. As soon as I heard former Chief Justice, I thought they're going to bring a Supreme Court judge in. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, so it must have been so insulting to hear that from Jody Wilson-Raybould or for her to hear it because she's a former Crown prosecutor. The director of public prosecution is the most experienced prosecutor in Canada by virtue of her title, and yet they want to go ahead and find somebody else who's not going to give them, they're not looking for a second opinion, right? They're looking for the opinion that they want, and that's the big difference. And she just was having none of it, and they just kept trying and trying and trying. And that's what I hope people don't get lost in the in the mix of all of the other things they want to talk about. It's fundamentally wrong for anyone to try to tell the Attorney General what to do. That includes telling her to go get another opinion because we don't like the opinion that you've given us. You know, that's the way our system is built. And the fact that they're admitting that they went over the line right now, all that's left for me is to figure out, well, where's the accountability on that? Well, didn't Justin Trudeau step all over his own argument when yesterday he said, when, when he was asked about Mr. Lametti and a decision he might make, he said, look, all along, I'm paraphrasing, but all along, I've always said it's up to the Attorney General to make the decision. It's the Attorney General's decision alone. Well, you're saying that now, and you like to say it when it's convenient to you, but at the same time, you're saying that Jody Wilson-Raybould really shouldn't have made the decision by herself, and she made it too quickly. She should have gone and found a second opinion, or maybe a third and a fourth. And as a result, she's no longer in my cabinet, and she certainly is no longer my attorney general. And I look at, look, I'll, I, I was watching a little bit more of, of what some liberal-friendly pundits were saying in the media, and one of them is the former premier of British Columbia, Christy Clark, and she just laid it out. She, just, she didn't even mince any words. She said, if the prime minister doesn't like the opinion of where this is going from the attorney general, he should replace the attorney general. That is unbelievable in terms of a political interference. That's exactly what you shouldn't do in cases like this. You make the person the AG because you trust their judgment, and then they have to go out and execute on the judgment. And if that the result is something you don't like, that's life. That's the way it goes. And it was your appointment. And it was your appointment, exactly. But to try to continuously hammer her, um, they are so far over the line, it's ridiculous. As I said, for, for me now, it's about accountability. And one thing he did make a mistake on is he took so long to come forward with the truth, which I, and I think he did. He said on September 17th, I met with her. She told me she made her decision. Um, and after that, as far as I'm concerned, anything the PMO did was completely incorrect. But he waited four weeks to do that, and the rest of the country was able to get themselves up to speed on what is right and what is wrong. And we see very clearly that what Mr. Trudeau did was wrong. Ms. Wright, 
uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould wants to come back. She wants to appear before the, the committee again. She wants to respond to Mr. Butts and, and Mr. Wernick. Can you make that happen, or is it going to be a constant series of five to four votes? I hope that they're going to allow it to happen. I think they'd be foolish to not allow it to happen. And I'd also think they'd be foolish not to relax the constraints they have on her because we've seen both the prime minister and the uh, former principal secretary, Jerry Butts, and the clerk just shred, completely shred, whatever constraints are are holding Jody Wilson-Raybould down from telling the entire truth. And that's why we need to hear from her fully and produce her notes, if she'd like to, on uh, all the matters that she talks about. I mean, she's got, as I said, she's got the hard evidence there. Um, And they don't. I mean, it's funny, you played the clip coming in and you said, do you think he contradicted himself? I just think at this point he's spouting complete gibberish. I don't even think he understands what the issue is right now and that it's not he thinks it's not wrong to be able to go and tell people what to do because unfortunately he's prime minister i think that's what i think he thinks yeah and then you have today you have the story today and yesterday of uh, selena cesar chavan uh, saying that when she told him she wasn't going to run in october she was met with hostility and anger telling that to the globe and mail and then the pmo responds that it was really just a situation that was interpreted differently that's the fallback position well, you know what? She did it on International Women's Day in response That's to right. a tweet from the Prime Minister. And the, the theme yesterday was balance for better. And, you know, balance also means that you have to be able to contradict things that you know aren't true. And she took a lot of, it took a lot of courage for her to do what she did. Um, but she wanted to correct the record. And this is the only way you level the playing field uh, in inequality is by using your voice and speaking up when you see something that isn't right. And she did it, and we have even more insight into what it's like to be inside that Liberal caucus a little bit more. So you were there, you were present for the testimony by Jody Wilson-Raybould, you were you, you questioned her, you were empathetic toward her, and I understood that. And then you were there, of course, for the, for the testimony by Gerald Butts and by Michael Wernick, and you questioned them. On the credibility level, or on a credibility scale, can you compare the three of them? Oh, no, Jody Wilson-Raybould is, is, was by far, I believe, the most credible witness. Mr. Wernick was evasive and uh, would not provide even the simplest agreement on facts that were in agreement. And Mr. Butts um, skirted the questions and answered the part of the question that he wanted to answer instead of giving us full information. Plus, he wasn't helpful in information either. Uh, when I asked him specific things about staff that worked for him, he said, well, I don't know, I wasn't there, but both are men of sterling reputation, so I can't imagine they did that. And that's not helpful to what we're trying to get at right now. Did Jody Wilson-Raybould hurt herself, hurt her argument, when it was revealed that she turned down the minister, the Indigenous Affairs Minister's job? Not at all. It's not about where she was going to go or not going to go. It's the fact that he was moving her out of attorney general so he could get somebody more compliant in place. Or he was punishing her for not doing what he wanted. One or the other, both are equally bad. Let's go back to the 9,000 jobs. Um, there's no report on that. Nobody really knows where that number came from. Somebody, somebody. I'm guessing somebody came up with SNC. them. They, they all jumped on it. SNC? Yeah. Okay, SNC. Yeah, SNC said it to the clerk of the Privy Council in their meeting on September 18th. Okay, so 9,000 jobs. We have the the Premier of Saskatchewan pointing out that 100,000 jobs have been lost in the energy sector in in Western Canada. No real interest from the federal government on that score. And then there was the concern about SNC possibly leaving Montreal. We know that contractually they can't do that until 2024, and they have a massive amount of money uh, or a massive number of, of, or a large number of contracts ready to be filled that are worth in huge amounts of money. So they're not going anywhere, and the jobs are not in imminent danger. That is all correct. And in fact, SNC-Levelin said themselves that they're not concerned about uh, losing jobs. So now, where does this, where does this go? What, what happens? Look into your crystal ball, please, and tell us where this goes over the next four weeks. We've had the last four weeks, and the first day was the prime minister stepping forward and saying the Globe and Mail report was entirely incorrect. It never happened. He changed his story. Well, he keeps changing his story. Where do you see this going? Well, they would like this to die out, and they're trying to... It's like smothering a fire, right? They're just trying to throw a blanket over it and hope that it goes out. And our job in the opposition is to hold this government to account, and we'll use every tool, like Andrew says, Andrew Scheer, we'll use every tool we have, both in Parliament and otherwise, 
in order to ensure that we hold them to account for this because it really is egregious. And, you know, one could submit, take a look at that uh, criminal code and see whether or not there's something in there in terms of either intimidating officials or obstructing justice or trying to encourage people to commit a crime. I, I don't know what could be there, but it's worthy of a look. Let me put it that way. But we're going to use every tool we have, right, because it is he needs to be held account for this. Because if you're not held accountable for something like this, it just erodes the entire system of democracy we have. And, you know, we've got lots of people who come from other countries, who flee countries, where they worry that their politicians can tell the the judges and the police officers what to do. This is exactly what Justin Trudeau is doing, telling the prosecutor what to do. It's very disturbing. And I understand the prosecutor, you're a lawyer, you would know better than I, but prosecutors, before they would engage in obstruct justice uh, uh, charge or investigation, they would ask themselves, is it in the public interest and what's the likelihood of conviction? Well, that's true. That's what they go through all the time. But uh, the charges come, the recommendation on charges come from the investigating body, that's the RCMP, and they're completely separate from the whole list as well. So there's a lot of steps, but uh, I have faith in my system. The system did work. Mr. Wernick and I agree on that. The system did work, but it was the the clerk and the prime minister who tried to go around the system to make it work for them. Ms. Wright, thank you for the time. Good talking to you again. You too, Roy. Anytime. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Lisa Wright. usually call this segment Beauties and the Beast, and it normally ran at the end of a show on Saturday, so uh, we'll call it that again, of course. Catherine Swift, described as Canada's most powerful woman, former president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, now working Canadians.ca. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Roy. Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament, seatmate to Justin Trudeau during question period. Michelle was punished by the Liberal Party, as you've heard, under Mike Lignaccia for refusing to stop openly posting her MP expenses online. How are you, Michelle? I'm fine, Roy. This, uh, how this, are you? I'm sorry? I said, how are you? Well, I'm sitting here completely irritated because I didn't bring my headphones in and I'm working with store-bought stuff and I don't like them. Since you asked. (laughs) I have my priorities, too. (laughs) And my great friend, Linda Leatherdale, the former money editor of the Toronto Sun, now vice president of Cambria Canada. Hi, Linda. Hey, Roy. So uh, let me start with you, Catherine. What's your takeaway this week and over the last several weeks from the beginning of this, this saga, when the Globe and Mail published its first story, which Justin Trudeau said was not true, to where we are today. What's the takeaway? Oh, boy. Well, there's so much. <laughs> but just as highlights, I guess, or lowlights is probably a little more accurate. Um, this, this story, yesterday, as we know, was International Women's Day, right? And, and it was just as I was sort of musing on all the developments. And by the way, the federal court yesterday rejected SNC-Lavalin's request to have that, um, you know, that decision of the public prosecutor overturned. So just yesterday, they got yet another blow in this ongoing, you know, dismal saga. But it, what, <laughs> I guess what k- kills me about this, and whether it's Butt's testimony or the Warnick, the clerk of the Privy Council, or Trudeau himself, and so on and so forth. It's just this is some powerful women kicking some male butt, <laughs> and it's it's very intriguing to watch. But I must say, you you mentioned it off the top there, Roy. That that story of of Selena um, Cesar Chavan, uh, who who it was quite quite damning what she said when she told him she was going to not be running next election. He yelled at her, said, "I I didn't appreciate him. He's given me so much." I mean, who is this guy anyway? He's a he's a narcissist, is what he is. It reminds you of Elbowgate. It's unbelievable. And what gets me about this is she's not running again, so she you know she hasn't got any dog in this hunt, right? She she doesn't you know she can t- tell the truth. I bet you there's a million more of these stories that we will hear eventually, because right now Trudeau still you know holds a lot of the reins over a lot of these people, a lot of these women that are in cabinet and caucus, and uh, I bet we're going to hear a ton of those stories once he does get the boot, hopefully sooner rather than later, for the sake of our country. But I. I I would just bet there's a million of those stories simmering out there. Let's go to Michelle Simpson, who sat with Mr. Trudeau as his seatmate during question period for some considerable period of time, knows the man, 
And uh, Michelle, as you're watching what's going on, as you see what's going on in the Justice Committee, as you watch the former uh, seatmate of yours and now the Prime Minister, who's under some significant national pressure, and I think is coming apart at the seams under this pressure, what's your takeaway from what's been going on? All I can tell you, and I, I said it once and I'll reiterate, Justin has a bad temper. If he doesn't get his own way, he's like a petulant child, and it, he is coming apart at the seams. His story's changed, um, and he sees these cracks. And I agree with Catherine. There'll be a lot more like it. And I give Jody full credit for just standing up and saying, no, enough. Linda, what about you? What do you take away from what's been going on? Oh, this is a sad time for Canada, I believe. Um, a real credibility problem. But more than that, and I, I, I think about it, and we've discussed it before, but Canadian taxpayers pouring a lot of tax dollars into SNC-Lavalin, and I guess you can say another Quebec company called Bombardier, and nobody is above the law. But for this political interference, you know, Jody is so right to stand up, and um, Catherine said it, uh, women. <laughs> International Women's Day yesterday. So, you know, but where is the honesty here? Where is the integrity here? And all I am hearing are bumbling idiots that are lying to us. And I just don't like what I see, Roy. Let's get to these 9,000 jobs, the story of 9,000 jobs and the significance of the 9,000 jobs vis-a-vis all the jobs that have been lost in the Western energy sector. Catherine. Well, I'm I'm amazed anybody's buying this 9,000 jobs business. Seemingly people are, but they're they're, you know, they're not paying attention. And Butt's comments there about, oh, yeah, this is their latest spin. They've had so much spin on this. You know, it's like, let's try this new, you know, argument on for size and see if it flies because the last 30 failed. But the 9,000 jobs business, first of all, as you mentioned, Roy, the notion that if one company uh, isn't able to bid, there aren't other companies. Of course there are. Uh, there, there's so much wrong with this 9,000 jobs. Hunt, uh, over 100,000 jobs have been lost because of energy-related bad policies uh, by this Liberal government. Um, there's even GM in Oshawa, uh, for that matter. I mean, jobs come and go all the time. Thankfully, they tend to come more often than they go. We've had a fairly decent run in the economy the last few years for a whole bunch of different reasons, largely straight from the U.S., interestingly enough. So why anybody is buying this so-called 9,000 jobs, and as has been pointed out many, many times, even if you're seeking this deferred prosecution, the DPA, the Deferred Prosecution Agreement, those those kinds of considerations are not legally justifiable. So it's, it just falls down on so many fronts. Do you know what it speaks to, Catherine? It speaks to, it, it smacks of desperation. We have one talking point, and that's the only one we really have that we can try to sell to Canadians, so we will sell it, even though the majority of people have now, I think, begun to understand that, yeah, there may be 9,000 jobs, but they're not all going to be gone, that there will be jobs available to, as we said, to others in Quebec who will work for companies that will, in fact, be successful in bidding for federal contracts. Linda, what do you say about the 9,000-job argument? <laughs> I think it's a, it's a real joke that that is being floated out, Roy. Um, and, and nobody's laughing at 9,000 jobs being potentially lost, but tell the whole story and tell the truth. Well, exactly. And, and that is such a good point. I mean, if other companies come in to bid on these jobs, there will be jobs there. That, that is not right. But I think what really rubs me the wrong way was this threat. And I've heard, you know, the PM and Daryl Butts refer to it. Oh, they're going to pull up and move out of Montreal and go to Great Britain. Well, mine, first of all, don't allow that to happen. But second, pay back every red cent in export grants, government subsidies, and outright tax dollars going to this company that is facing corruption. And they are contractually bound to stay in Montreal, I think, until... 2024. I may be wrong about that year. Is it 2024? 2024. Okay. All right. Uh, Michelle, you know what goes on inside a political party. You know the when things get really desperate. I suppose the the options become fewer and fewer. The desperation factor rises within the caucus. Is that what's going on with the 9,000 jobs argument? Yes, 
first off, I'd like to know precisely how that number came about. There is no report. And, pardon? There is no report. Exactly. And the other thing is, and I know I'm going to get pushback on this, I'd sooner shed the 9,000 jobs than live with the fallout of the lie. Sorry. No, it's a, it's a, it's a point to be debated. Um, there's Everything's yeah. on the table now, including this one. Can you guys stay a little longer past the half hour? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Can Justin Trudeau, because this has been talked about and it's talked about uh, not not as openly as I think it's going to be, but can Justin Trudeau, Michelle, can he survive this and remain the leader of the Liberal Party heading into the October federal election? Does this issue have the potential to create the kind of situation where Justin Trudeau has to wave goodbye? Yeah, if it keeps snowballing. Because it it plays to his credibility, and I'm seeing it, unfortunately, down here with respect to President Trump. Each and every cut that you take, like little cut, starts to accumulate, right? What is going on inside the caucus, though, Michelle? You, you know a lot of these people. You served with a lot of these people. You served with Trudeau. You sat beside him. What does he have enough dynamic control? If I can use a coin of coin of a term, does he have enough dynamic control of the party to retain stewardship, regardless, almost regardless, of what might develop between now and the beginning of the actual election campaign? That. Roy, that's really tough to say, because there's a lot of people that have integrity in that caucus that will just, you know, fold their tent. But a lot of them see themselves as being able to vie for cabinet positions. They want the little, they want the big black car, and they want all the perks that comes with that including a lot more money. So, I, you know, you're, you've got two sides to this. Uh, just looking at a comment made by Rachel Notley, the premier of Alberta, telling the, uh, the leader post in, in Regina, she's quoted as saying, I remind the prime minister again, he's not the prime minister of Quebec. No, that's Scott Moe, the premier of Saskatchewan. And uh, Rachel Notley said, we need our federal government to focus on the big picture. And by doing that, they will realize that Albertans need their attention. Notley said earlier this week that Trudeau needs to get back to work defending jobs and farmers. And we're calling on Ottawa to stop its navel-gazing about its internal controversies and fight back, says the former ally of Justin Trudeau. Now let's get back to this issue of the jobs and where, whether or not there's uh, factual uh, information here. Catherine, 9,000 jobs. We'll go back to this number because it's the one that's used repeatedly by the Liberals. And yet we know, we know that SNC has contracts stretching out for a significant period of time, and a massive amount of money is guaranteed for those contracts, and they can't leave the, the province of Quebec, they can't leave Montreal contractually until 2024. So just from that perspective, the $9,000 jobs argument is indefensible. Well, yeah, it has no basis in fact. By the way, did you deliberately have the boys are back in town on as your lead-in uh, song there? <laughs> no, but it worked, didn't it? <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it's anyway. the luck of the draw with the music, but hey, that was appropriate. <laughs> yeah, no, that worked great. Um, I, the thing that strikes me, and you mentioned before the break there about what, what could caucus be thinking, and there's got to be Panic City. And you could imagine somebody like Butts, you know, they've tried, they've tried on for size so many lines here. Let's try you know, let's try this. They think they, they now are probably. Bus is probably saying to them all now, well, "No, calm down. We, we got one that's working now. This this nine thousand jobs, it's it's working now." And of course, they continue to call uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould a liar. That's basically what the essence, the, the essence of Butts' testimony. I thought was it's all they have. She's a liar. It's all they have. And, and yeah. exactly. And and secondly, though, did you notice he had immense detail on points that he wanted to make? But when he was asked some of the stuff that could have been embarrassing, I don't recall. I I don't recall. Finally, 
you know, Trudeau is the brand of this this uh, Liberal Party. They have they've gone all in on Trudeau. So until there's a tipping point when the rats will want to leave the sinking ship, and that hasn't happened yet, but it may well happen soon, uh, that's when you're going to see people really bolt. We've seen the odd person peel off, not run again, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I think, and, and don't forget, we haven't even seen the, the essence of this Vice Admiral Norman case, which also smacks and stinks of corruption, and and a lot of people are predicting it will be even worse in the SNC line. I'm going to be speaking with uh, someone who knows the Admiral and who served in the military with him on tomorrow's program. Somebody has a lot of respect for Admiral Norman. You're absolutely correct, because Marie Hannon, his lawyer, is talking about calling Gerald Butts and Michael Wernick to the stand. She subpoenaed them. Yeah, so yeah. I, I imagine the documents that she wants are suddenly going to become very much available. Well, uh, Michelle, <laughs> when you were on the program a few weeks ago with Dan McTagg, also yep. a former Liberal Member of Parliament, Dan mentioned that it, his prediction was that there would be a significant number or a number of Liberals who would announce they weren't going to run again in October. And he's absolutely correct. So far, we've had four. Do you think there's going to be four or maybe five? Do you think there's going to be more in that regard? Do you think that there are going to be liberals who will cross the floor? Catherine, a couple of weeks ago, mentioned to us that she has she knows someone in the government she has a lot of confidence in who's told her that there will be or there are discussions going on between liberals and the conservative party about yep. crossing the floor. Do you see that coming, Michelle? Oh, I certainly do. And I think... With respect to not running again, you could see someone like John McKay and some of the older ones who have basically maxed out their pensions. And who needs this? And I agree with everything said. This is nothing more than a ploy for votes. Is the the caucus being told to shut up? I have no doubts about that. uh, Linda, let me ask you, let's start a different question here and go around the the table with it. Has Jody Wilson-Raybould heard her position by not taking the Indigenous Affairs portfolio? I'm going to be speaking with with a First Nations chief from British Columbia on the show tomorrow. But do you have any idea, do you have any sense that perhaps she may have hurt her position somewhat by not taking the Indigenous Affairs portfolio? You know what, Roy, I want to say I hope that that's not the case. I I thought she did a great job in the portfolio she is, and she has to do what she believes she's passionate about. Do I see this as a demotion? Uh, What happened? Absolutely. Um, But I hope, you know, I, I think she's a very strong woman, and I hope it won't affect her. Catherine, what do you say? Well, I, I, I think the, the, whole, the, the whole Aboriginal Affairs history, and it used to be Indian and Northern Affairs, you know, we've, we've had many iterations of that department. Um, they operate on behalf of a piece of legislation called the Indian Act, and, and that act has been, you know, criticized, reviled by virtually all Aboriginals in Canada. If she took that position, she would be tasked with defending and enforcing Understood, it. Understood, but there are, there are, it. There so are I chiefs. Think, I think yep. that was a principled decision. Listen, there's a lot yep. I don't agree with, with Jody Raybould Wilson's, you know, position, or Wilson Raybould's sort of perspective on the universe. She's quite a left-wing politician. But you gotta, you got to admit the woman's been consistent and principled, and I think that yep. not taking that, you know, the, the, the um, Aboriginal Affairs portfolio was another principled decision. It'll be interesting to hear what the uh, chief I'm speaking with tomorrow, in fact, says about that, because there are First Nations chiefs who've been critical about uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould not taking that Indigenous Affairs uh, portfolio. But she did say, and she has been on the record as saying that she could not support the Indian Act. Exactly. And as you say, they, they, re, yeah. they, they retitle it depending on what the most advantageous term of the, of, 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 the, of the decade might well be. So what are we left with? We have about four minutes here for the rest of our discussion. Then we're going to be spending a few minutes with a Washington uh, Post reporter about the Paul Manafort sentence. Go to the the American side of the border, which uh, Michelle uh, alluded to. But what are we left with going into, into next week and the weeks to come? 
Well, one thing we're left with is, will the Justice Committee have Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, testify again? She's yeah. been called she, a liar by several yeah. uh, witnesses in the last week. She should get a chance to rebut that, and she has already said she's available and happy to do so. If that Justice Committee shuts down, uh, you know, they're not permitting so much uh, truth to come out here. You have to conclude they got something to hide. And I think that we'll see how that shoe drops next week, whether or not they will permit her to testify. And I think if they don't, then, boy, that's a damning, damning statement on what they're hiding. Michelle. Yep. Yep, that's it. Thank you. (laughs) No, no, I was wondering whether that was your whole answer. (laughs) Certainly succinct. Uh, Are you hearing from anybody from uh, your former colleagues in, in the Liberal Party? May I ask you whether you're in contact with any of them? Oh, yeah, I've been in contact with them. Um, But I think they've had a number of fires to put out. You think, huh? So it doesn't. (laughs) I think so. So Catherine, have you heard any more about uh, floor crossing? No, I haven't. I've, I've just heard discussions are underway, just just as I heard before. But again, there's going to be a t- if, if there's if, if there you know if, if the deluge happens, there's going to have to be a tipping point. At the moment, a lot of liberals seem to think we got we got away with things this week. So we'll see what the future holds. I think that's the point. They yeah. they they think they can they can survive this. That's right. Linda, what's oh, your sense? You, you you've covered well, a lot. You've covered so many political campaigns and so many governments. Do you yeah. think this is survivable? They have about six or seven months. <laughs> No, and you know what? A couple weeks ago, you you sort of said, Linda, you're sitting on the fence. Well, I'm not now. Uh, There's economic storm clouds happening as well. I think this is the end of Justin Trudeau. All right. Thank you so much, beauties. Always great talking to you. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Roy. Catherine Swift, WorkingCanadians.ca, Linda Leatherdale, at Linda Leatherdale, and Michelle Simpson, former seatmate to Justin Trudeau during question period, former Liberal Member of Parliament, at Michelle Simpson. Brian Peckford is the former premier of Newfoundland and Labrador. We speak to the premier periodically. He has an excellent blog in which he informs uh, people of his thoughts. He informs Canadians of his thinking. And it's, uh, I mean, I love i love to read your, uh, your blog pieces, premier. It's Peckford42 at WordPress.com, right? Yes, sir. I did that from memory. It's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. I was out on a limb. <laughs> you did very well. Thank you for taking the time. Why aren't we using, this is a question that you ask in your first blog piece this week, why aren't we using the words right and wrong? Have they become taboo too? Speak to that, please, Premier. Yes. Uh, as I was writing my various blogs on this whole issue of what's going on in Ottawa these days and the way the federal government is obviously abusing its authority and power if one looks at the ethics act and one looks at the criminal code and through all of the phraseology through all of the prose through all of the statements it's i couldn't find very often hardly at all the words right and wrong and I don't know about you, many Canadians, but I was brought up uh, to to talk about and to listen to my parents and my teachers talk about when you did right and when you did wrong. And the right and the wrong referred to various standards that were established, uh, either through the church or through the state, or through the province, through the municipality, through the federal government or whatever. And when you violated one of those standards, you were doing wrong. When you adhered to one of those standards, you were doing right. And, and there's nothing complicated about it. And in the case of what's happening in Ottawa today, we have a government which has already, two members of the government, the Prime Minister and the Minister of Finance, have broken, according to the Ethics Commissioner, an independent person, the conflict of interest uh, law. The Prime Minister, four times. And so, he has done wrong. He has violated a standard that was established. And now when we look at what's happened with Judy Raybould, uh, we, uh, the former uh, Attorney General, we see where the Prime Minister and his office had injected themselves into the process of the Attorney General's office and operation after a decision had been made by the Director of Public Prosecutions. In other words, obstructing 
the normal course of justice. And under the criminal code, that, again, is violating that code, which says you can't obstruct justice like that. In other words, the prime minister and his office and the office of the minister of finance have done wrong, as has the clerk of the Privy Council, which is supposed to be sort of an independent policy advice office. So I get really upset and disturbed when I hear people using all kinds of other words to circumvent two very important words that all Canadians are quite familiar with. Did you do right or did you do wrong? You write in uh, in one blog piece, uh, a Canadian company is alleged to have done wrong under our laws. They have been charged. So let the courts hear the matter and a verdict will be rendered. There are companies uh, every day in our country appearing in our courts charged with breaking the law, and the courts are dealing with them. There are many cynics who have said to me, don't tell me there is justice out there. Ah, yes, one for the rich and another for the poor. And that seems to that's the refrain that starts to build from a situation such as the one we're looking at now, Premier. I want to ask you this question. I've been waiting to ask it to somebody today, and I haven't gotten to it, so here it is. Is this party-specific, or does it not really matter who's in government at any given time? If the opportunity provides itself, they'll take advantage of a situation, and if, they're the, if, if, if their actions really are essentially indefensible, they'll try to defend themselves, nevertheless. I agree. I, I agree. This is not party-specific at all. This has to do with the management of the government of the nation. This has to do with the management of and enforcing and applying the rules that are on the books. There's a rule on the book. There's a law on the book, the Conflict of Interest Act. There's a law on the book, the Criminal Code of Canada. And there's provisions in both those which are applicable to this particular situation. It has nothing to do with an NDP or a Liberal or a Conservative or a, a, a People's Party or any other party. It has to do with the administration the effective and honest administration of the laws that are on the books. That is not happening right now. Do premiers of this country have a responsibility to step up and be heard more loudly than they're being heard now? Now, the premier of Saskatchewan has stepped up, and he's told the prime minister of Canada, you're the prime minister of Canada, not Quebec, and we'll be speaking with Premier Mo tomorrow. And the Premier of, uh, of Alberta, Rachel Notley, has also challenged the Prime Minister and asked him to be more understanding of the big picture as opposed to the narrow focus, which in this case is SNC. So we have 10 Premiers in Canada. Do they all have a responsibility? Do they all have a, a, a mandate, in fact, to step up and let themselves be heard? Or does that open the door to the dirty laundry closet? Well, uh, you know, it's very interesting. I think you're the first person that I have heard or anything that I have read in the last two weeks that has actually posed this question. And as a former premier, I would say that given the gravity of this situation where laws are being challenged by the sitting government, uh, that it is incumbent. This is a national issue which affects everybody in the sense of the administration of justice in this country. And in that context, therefore, I would submit that the premiers of this country should be coming out clearly on this issue, because uh, in not doing so, you know, they are tending then with their silence to not take issue with a very serious matter of integrity and honesty in the administration of our government. So the answer to your question is yes, and I'm very saddened by the fact that more premiers are not coming out and more leaders of business, more leaders of unions, more leaders of the, of the country. Uh, the, edit the editorial boards of all the major papers should be coming out clearly because it is, it, this is beyond dispute. This is not a question of, you know, he said this and she said that. The, the, the prime minister's office, physically, I mean, it's, it's on the record. We know that they interfered and tried to pressure the attorney general. It is clear, and therefore, 
uh, it's beyond the question of he said, she said. It's beyond the question of somebody's interpretation of a given word. And I am saddened that more of the leaders of this nation are not out clear on this issue. One more question for you, Premier Peckford. Where is this all headed? The, that's a really, really good question. In the last 24 hours, you know, as I was getting ready to uh, to talk to you today, you know, I noticed two new developments, which are very important for Canadians to understand. One is we have another Liberal MP coming out saying that when she told the Prime Minister that she was going to not run anymore, and it happened to come at a time when the Judy Rabel thing uh, blew open, uh, you know, she was yelled at by the Prime Minister. This is a lady, apparently, who had been parliamentary secretary to the to the prime minister for a time. Uh, this is very, very disturbing that we have a third person, MP, coming out, uh, expressing the... One gets the impression that we have a prime minister who's really in over his head. It, 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 it shows a sign of immaturity that the first uh, notion of some kind of pressure, some kind of problem that he gets himself in, he loses his cool. Uh, this is very, very disturbing. The other point uh, that I think is important in, to answer your question, and I think you've also made reference to this, anybody, even if you're not a lawyer, if you'd like to read something, go to the Federal Court of Canada, click on, click on it, and up will come the Federal Court of Canada, click on Decisions, and read the decision that came down yesterday on SNC-Lavalin's attempt to appeal the decision of the Director of Public Prosecutions. Now, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer. You can skim over some of the more illegal uh, uh, legalese, but it is what I would classify as a smackdown. How SNC-Lavalin ever allowed itself to appeal this decision to the courts when they had somebody like the former uh, Supreme Court justice in their legal team escapes me because if ever there was a smackdown, if ever there was uh, a court decision which said, you're really stupid. You really don't know what you're talking about. It's this decision. All right. Premier Peckford, I have to take the break. Premier Peckford, thank you so much. Always good talking to you, and I love your blog pieces. They're on the mark, and you're right. There is right, and there is wrong, and they're not that difficult to distinguish from each other. Right and wrong. It's just, just a, if you don't know for sure, just give your gut a chance to tell you. Premier, thank you. Good talking to you. Thank you very much, sir. Brian Peckford, former premier of Newfoundland and Labrador. John Nunziata was a three-term liberal member of parliament and a member of the so-called Rat Pack with Sheila Copps. They were the rebels in Canada's parliament. And during the 1993 federal election, the Liberal Party under Jean Chrétien made an we will kill, we will abolish the GST if we're elected a constantly repeated cornerstone election promise. And as soon as the Liberals were elected to form a majority government, the abolish the GST promise evaporated. One Liberal MP alone decided to hold his party and federal government accountable and declared he would vote against the government on its first budget bill, which is a confidence vote. You're not allowed to vote against the government at any time, and particularly not on a, can a confidence vote. That is a political hanging offense. John Nunziata was kicked out of the Liberal Party and sat alone as an independent MP. In 1997, Mr. Nunziata ran again, and the Liberal machine and their official candidate, I think it was Judy Scrow, in the York Southwestern riding of Toronto. The constituents of Mr. Nunziata appreciated so much the way he was representing them and what he'd done, they re-elected him. They said no thank you to the, uh, to the official Liberal Party candidate. He went up against the big red machine, and he won. And uh, Mr. Nunziata experienced what Jane Philpott, I'm sure, and Jody Wilson-Raybould are experiencing now from their Liberal caucus mates and Liberal Party leadership. John, thank you for joining us. I was thinking about you. I thought about you on a number of occasions over the last few weeks. And I remember the conversations we'd had at the time you, you came into my studio and you said, I will vote against my government on the budget bill because we lied to Canadians about the abolishing and, and killing the GST. And I remember saying to you, this, John, will be the end of your political career. <laughs> and you said, I'm doing it. And you were the only one who did. Remind us why. 
in your words. Well, uh, Roy, I mean, um, you run an election campaigns and you make commitments. And we often said, as the Liberal Party, that uh, we would keep our promises. And the major promise we made in 1993 was to abolish the GST. So we had a moral obligation to fulfill that promise. And we had plans on how to replace the revenue. So in the circumstances, I felt uh, it will, would be a betrayal to my constituents if um, I did not press to scrap the GST. And uh, I'm very honored to have been elected as an independent. As you know, independents rarely get elected yeah, it doesn't in, happen. in politics. It doesn't happen, John, particularly if the, if the political machine is zeroed in on you because they did not want you back. They wanted. They did everything they possibly could to make sure that you weren't reelected in 1997, and you were anyway, as an independent. But you, you knew what you were doing to your political career. You weren't a rookie. You had been a member of the Rat Pack. I think you had. You been in for three terms already by then. Uh, yes, I had. I was first elected in 1984 when Brian Mulroney uh, won his. Uh massive majority re-elected right. in 1988 when Mulroney was re-elected and then from 88 to 93 we fought long and hard against the implementation of the uh, GST and uh, prior to federal politics I was in municipal politics but um, I think the reality is that uh, we do not live in a democracy Roy the reality is that the Prime Minister's office, and more so with uh, the Trudeau PMO, they run the show. This country is run by half a dozen people, half of whom are unelected. And uh, many of the caucus members, if not all of them, are basically trained SEALs. They're told what to do. They have to vote in accordance with what they're told, as opposed to truly representing their constituents. We need more free votes in the House of Commons. Members of Parliament should be free to vote their conscience, to represent their constituents. And it's up to the leadership, in my view, of political parties, and in this case the Prime Minister, to convince his caucus members that they should vote in a particular way, not mandate, mandate them to do so, and not try to control them as his office tried to control um, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Yeah. That's correct, yes. Were, are you at all surprised that w w what Jody Wilson-Raybould testified, the pressure she was under? Now, they're, of course, Mr. Trudeau and his followers are saying they didn't pressure. All they wanted was another opinion. All they wanted was Jody Wilson-Raybould to keep an open mind. Are you surprised at the pressure so that she testified she was under? No, not at all. That's a pretty significant pressure. That's the game they play in Ottawa. You have to toe the party line. If you want to be part of the team, if you want to be in cabinet, if you want to be a parliamentary secretary, if you want to go on foreign trips, you have to do as you're told. And she would not do as she was told, and she paid the consequences. But in the result, in the next election campaign, um, she will get reelected uh, with a substantial majority. I would suspect even if she ran as an independent, she would get reelected. They won't I'm want her so back. Sure. I mean, there's, there's no question they don't want her back in the well, party. She's under a lot of pressure from her caucus colleagues now because it makes them look bad. Um, several of her colleagues have al already indicated they're not happy with the way the prime minister's office and the prime minister have handled this issue. So... Constituents are asking other Liberal MPs, why don't you stand up against the Prime Minister? What he did was wrong, clearly wrong, and uh, why are you a trained SEAL? So some of them, I suspect in the next um, number of months, other Liberal MPs will stand up and uh, express their point of view with regard to how the Prime Minister has handled this situation. I suspect more cabinet ministers will resign, more liberal MPs will decide not to run again. This is very similar to what was happening with the Conservative Party leading up to the 93 election, where That's they right. were obliterated uh, with only two 
conservative That's right. candidates winning. And in this, the most recent election here in Ontario, where Kathleen Wynne um, led her party to a non-party situation. Had she have resigned even six months before, I would think that the Liberal Party would still have uh, party status. So I, I think Justin Trudeau should probably take a walk in the snowstorm like his dad did on uh, <laughs> I don't February think it was 29th, a snowstorm but <laughs> 1984 and you know what he decided in that walk that's right in the that's right yeah to, to he not decided he wasn't going to run again that's and, right uh, and there will be pressure on uh, Justin to step aside because this isn't the only issue that is, is is causing a lot of concern for liberals across the country and for uh, liberal MPs. There's um, quite a number of issues that have caused Canadians to lose confidence. You know, he's got a baggage car. Yeah. He yeah. really has a baggage car. Now, based on your experience and your knowledge of the political realities in the nation's capital and the inside workings of a political party, and particularly the Liberal Party, what's going on as far as pressure is concerned now being exerted on Jody Wilson-Raybould and on Jane Philpott? What kind of pressure are they under? Well, they're they're probably taking a lot of criticism from their colleagues. It's very difficult. It will be. It has been difficult for them to go to their caucus meetings to look around, and they are no longer, well, they are now persona non grata on their own team because they've caused even more problems for them. Just the same situation I faced in 1996, uh, when I voted against the budget, uh, others were saying, why would you do that? It's causing us, you know, a lot of concern. Actually, Sheila Copps, um, after I voted against the budget, felt the pressure to the point where she resigned. You know, you know, where, you know where she first said she would resign? If the GST wasn't, uh, wasn't scrapped? It was right in, this, right in this studio, sitting just yeah. to my right, along with Jean Chrétien. Yeah. And Sheila Kopp said, I'll tell you what, Roy, if we don't scrap the GST, I will resign. And I said to Sheila, I remember this, never say to me today what you don't want me to play back for you tomorrow. Yeah. Actually, she was quite upset with me at the time um, and, and because that caused a lot of pressure on her to resign, to keep her promise to resign. There was one other uh, Liberal MP, Dennis Mills, who um, also was under, well, they were all under a lot of pressure, but he decided to uh, leave the caucus uh, temporarily. He eventually went back into the caucus, but uh, he too decided that what the government was doing was wrong. What do you expect the current Attorney General to do about the SNC issue now? What do you expect Mr. Lametti to do? Call in the RCMP, I agree. there's political interference. That is tantamount to obstruction of justice. There certainly appears to have been obstruction of justice. And possibly they should uh, appoint an independent prosecutor, maybe a, a former Supreme Court judge, to review all the facts, to interview the all the players and make a decision. There has to be integrity to the criminal justice system in this country. And... Uh, because if you're Joe Blow from Kokomo, you don't get the breaks that um, the rich and famous get. So there, people have to know that there's fairness in the criminal justice system. I don't know, Roy, if you remember the Elmer McKay um, matter. Um, I, he was the Attorney General yeah. and Solicitor General. Mm-hmm. And um, Richard Hatfield, uh, the Premier of New Brunswick, was charged with possession of marijuana they found marijuana in his luggage and i found out through a source that elmer mckay the attorney general met secretly with richard hatfield at the shadow laurier in ottawa that alone the fact that the attorney general would meet with an accused person caused the prime minister to fire elmer mckay because there was a perception or in a, that there was an attempt to obstruct justice and to withdraw the charges. As it turned out, Elmer McKay was acquitted, or I'm sorry, uh, Richard Hatfield was acquitted. The judge at the time, appointed by Hatfield, said that uh, the luggage that contained the marijuana was not always in the care and control 
of the premier. Well, that was pure nonsense and a miscarriage of justice. And in the result, I've got more uh, information through a source that Mr. Hatfield at the time took students uh, on board a government plane to uh, to Montreal where they smoked pot and did a bunch of other things. We should maybe pick that up another day because I'm literally, literally out of time. One of the things that I'll never forget is how much uh, Olson, Clifford Olson hated you, the uh, child serial killer, and that really was a badge of honor. John Nunziata, good to talk to you again, John. Roy, real I'll pleasure. Back. Thank you for Take having care. me on your show. All the best. All the best. Too. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.